Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey, and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights, and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. With fertilizer costs going through the roof, Signpost Program Advisor Seamus Kearney provides tips for strategic use of slurry to minimize the requirement for chemical nitrogen in the first round this spring. And I first asked Seamus about the soil fertility status of Irish dairy soils. So soil fertility uh, on dairy farms nationally, um, we're looking at about 63% of uh, dairy farms are at 6.2, which is kind of optimum above for lime. Uh, and about 50% of the P and K levels are at index three and four on dairy farms, which is kind of optimum of where we'd like them to be for um, optimum uh, grass growth. So, so farmers have made an improvement in terms of soil fertility, but there's, there's still a way to go, Seamus. Absolutely. And I, I suppose the, the one thing is the P and K levels were dropping uh, in general on dairy farms in 2017. They've turned the corner since 2017, but they're starting to lift a bit again at the minute. Uh, and lime has started to improve as well in the last couple of years, the pH. Uh, but at the same time, like if you take all of them into account, uh, lime, P and K, only one in five acres on dairy farms are optimum for all three uh, at the same time. And Seamus, if we consider where we are now, early January, a lot of farmers have completed soil sampling and they have, you know, a set of results sitting in front of them. Um, you know, it might be a mammoth task to get through everything, but, you know, where do farmers start? Yeah, the starting point, I would say, uh, Emma Louise, is to, to look at the lime. Look, that's the one to start working on straight away, because I suppose the one thing with lime is um, lime is, is, is a huge return on investment. It gives a 400% return on investment. And uh, if we told people that we could get them this white powder that would give them a 4% return on investment, lime probably isn't the first one they think of. So a huge return on investment in lime. And really what the lime will do, it will help to release uh, nitrogen. So by getting the lime right, you can release up to uh, 60 units of nitrogen per year from the ground. And it also helps to improve phosphorus automatically by releasing available phosphorus out of the ground. So lime is definitely a starting point. So what I'll be saying to farmers and look at their soil samples, uh, get a map if it's a case of getting your area aid maps and marking on the area aid maps which fields are low on lime so at least that you target lime uh, on those fields first of all to start releasing uh, phosphorus and nitrogen uh, to help reduce the fertilizer bills and I suppose not not to uh, underestimate that James like what you're saying is for every one euro you you spread on lime there is going to be a 400 euro return in terms of the benefits that you're seeing within your grassland systems yeah, absolutely. And if you look at the prices where they are at the minute, uh, Emma Louise, like a, a load of lime is a uh, 20 ton, a load of lime is about 500 euro. We're looking at uh, over uh, about 950 for a ton of protected urea. The load of lime will probably give the same kind of response as a three qu- uh, of about 70% of, uh, of uh, um, a ton of a protected urea. But it'll keep giving that return uh, year on year once the lime is right on the farm. So it's the continuous uh, release of the nitrogen and getting the phosphorus right at farm level. And looking then the to timing of lime spreading. Now you highlight that you know a very high proportion of of farmland has optimum lime or optimum pH. So you know when for farmers who are looking at low lime uh, or low pH on farm, when should they be going with that lime? Yeah, well, I suppose the, the, the good thing with lime is it can be spread at any time. The only thing I suppose to, to, to bear in mind is where lime is going out on silo ground uh, this time of year in the springtime. Uh, if it, if the, the, the ground isn't bare and it kind of sticks to the grass, it comes back into the silage, you can have a problem with preserving uh, the silage in the pit. So maybe on some silage ground, 
Maybe better to leave it until after the soil is cut at the back end of the year and put it out at that stage. Uh, but on the grazing paddocks uh, where some of them need lime at this stage, no harm to put it out and the rain should wash it in, that it would be washed into the ground, that it won't be there to, to, to uh, taint the grass when the cows are grazing it. And while we mentioned 60%, 63% of farms are optimum on dairy farms for lime, uh, to grow clover, which is another way of reducing your, your overall nitrogen uh, input on the farm, uh, we need to be above six and a half pH and only 40% of dairy land is above uh, 6.5 pH. So only 40% of dairy farms are at the correct lime status in order to um, be able to grow clover. So, so farmers need to potentially push a little bit further if clover is, is part of their system. Absolutely. And, and if, if, if we're looking at clovers, what the optimum we're looking for is to get the, the, the lime status or the pH above uh, 6.5 and to get the, the P and K levels at index 3 or greater uh, on, on land in order to to get uh, optimum grass growth and also to be able to establish clover at farm level. And if we think about this time of year, you know, nitrogen is to the, the forefront and, and how we manage nitrogen in the spring. You mentioned, uh, you know, the cost of protected urea at 9.50 a tonne. I was speaking to an industry source yesterday and, and they were talking about, you know, it has risen to that level and, and straight urea was, was 9.50, um, you know, as they were selling it. That puts the spotlight on slurry, really. Um, and, you know, people are accounting more and more for the nutrients that slurry can provide if you if you consider that you know give us the strategy for spring applications of slurry how can we best get value from it Seamus yeah um, I suppose the first thing is a thousand gallons of slurry uh, for the coming spring we're looking is worth about 40 euro so 40 euro per thousand gallons now about three quarters of the value is in the p and the k so, so the first strategy is um, any fertilizer really going out for, for, for January, February really is going to be in the form of slurry this year. Uh, and two and a half thousand gallons of slurry uh, spread with low emission slurry spreading uh, will give about 23 units of nitrogen as well as uh, the P and the K uh, per acre. So that's meeting the nitrogen requirements uh, for the crop for, for, for January, February. Um, so, and slurry should be able to cover about half to 60% of the farm on most dairy farms. Um, ideally, you'd like to try and target it back at ground that will be silage ground because just to recycle the, 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 the P and K value uh, and to keep the, the P and K levels right on the silage ground. Uh, for the ground then that doesn't get slurry in January, February, we're talking about maybe 23. This would be good early ground. We'll be talking about maybe 23 units of nitrogen then for February. And we'll be holding off then to March uh, to be going about 40 units then by kind of mid to, to late March uh, to try and get grass growing on dry ground. On heavier type ground, we're looking really at about 40 to 45 units of nitrogen by kind of the middle of April. Uh, whatever slurry has to be put out to keep on top of the, the tanks in, in, in January, February, and then topping it up to the, the 45 unit level, uh, the, the slurry, so maybe another 20 units where the slurry has gone out, and maybe 40 to 45 units of protected urea uh, on ground that hasn't got slurried in uh, in kind of a March, April period. And talk through then the chemical fertilizer, as you see it, where there's no slurry has gone out. You're recommending that 23 units in February. What sort of product is best to use in that scenario? Yeah, well, well if we look at the products there, they've all gone up in, in value uh, 
huge amount this year. Um, like protected urea, I suppose one of the big advantages of protected urea, um, or urea, they're going to give better value. They're about 20, nearly twenty five percent cheaper than can type products at the minute on 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 a, a kilo of nitrogen basis. So they're substantially cheaper. Uh, and the other big thing then is protected urea uh, from trial work done in Johnstone Castle uh, over a protracted period of time uh, by by maintaining the the um, the value of the nitrogen and by reducing ammonia losses is leading to more um, more available nitrogen being 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 available at farm level. So essentially, really, what it means is that uh, eight tons of protected urea can grow the same amount of grass as nine tons of ordinary urea. So it's given about a, a 12-13% bounce over time on grass grown protected urea over urea because it's it's reducing ammonia losses, which is actually retaining more of the nitrogen for the farmer to actually use to grow grass. So definitely looking at it this year, if we we're looking at all types of fertilizer, value for money, we put protected urea number one, urea number two, and your can type products are number three after that. So we would be strongly recommending, and I know it's a it's a it's a, an availability issue in some parts of the country, but where available a protected urea. Uh, is the cheapest form of available nitrogen uh, for the springtime. I suppose just to reiterate that point, Seamus, you're, you're saying that, um, you know, your protected urea compared with your, your your standard urea product is going to lead to a 12 to 13 percent increase in grass production. Or if yeah. you want the same level of grass growth, you you can spread less protected urea. Uh, so bring it back to in that one, Emma Louise, like um, 35 units of, of, of uh, protected urea can kind of give you the same uh, response as 40 units of uh, ordinary urea. So it's giving an extra uh, an extra uh, growth increase, but as well as that, it's also helping to reduce our ammonia emissions, which we have a target for for the country as well. And compared to uh, can-type products, it's reducing our greenhouse gas emissions. It's, it's four times more environmentally friendly than our can-type products. So it's 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 given an extra yield. It's cheaper for the farmer, and it's also good for the environment. So to, to the protected urea product is winning all around. So you know, I, I'm I'm hearing the benefits from you, uh, Seamus. Um, but you know, there are a lot of farmers who still haven't made the jump from urea to protected urea. What are their concerns? Yeah, I, I suppose the, the the big issue, like if we look at last year, what we sprayed uh, fertilizer wise, about twenty two percent of the fertilizer used uh, straight nitrogen was 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 uh, urea. And about five to six percent was protected urea, uh, so almost thirty percent was uh, some form of urea. Uh, I suppose the target for by twenty thirty is we need to get to two thirds of all our fertilizer uses protected urea. Um, the big concerns for farmers uh, from feedback we're getting from farmers is the actual supply of the products in the first place. Um, but it's 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 like anything; uh, it, it's going to take a little bit of time to take off. But if farmers go into their their suppliers today looking for the product. To, uh, next week they probably won't get it so it's asking in plenty of time that the product is there when you actually need it available for your own farm so it seems to be a, a, a supply and demand issue to get that balanced out at the minute uh, Emma Louise and looking then to another point that you made you know you talk about um, value for money and if we consider the price of a ton of can at the moment it's 6.50 and the ton of urea, it's 950. So, you know, if you look at the products in isolation, you know, the can is a cheaper product. But from what you're saying, you know, it's 25% cheaper. So just, I guess, if you could step us through that to break down exactly where the differences lie. Yeah, we would just say take, take can at a, a price there of um, kind of 700 kind of mark. Uh, you have 270 kilos of nitrogen per ton of can. 
So uh, your 700 euro divided by 270 kilos of nitrogen, that's working out at about 259 per kilo of nitrogen. Uh, if we look at our, our protected urea product, we'd say take a, a 950 figure, uh, there is 460 kilos of nitrogen in a protected urea product where there isn't any, um, any sulfur or, or K involved in it. So you're dividing your 950 euro per ton by your 460 kilos of nitrogen. So that's coming out at about two euro and six per kilo of nitrogen. So we're talking about two euro and six per kilo of nitrogen for the protected urea and almost 260 per kilo of nitrogen for the can. Uh, and that's uh, sometimes between a 20 and 25% uh, extra cost to go to can product than your protected urea type product. Uh, so you have to bring it back per kilo of nitrogen uh, to be able to compare one product versus the other because you're really getting almost one and a half times your nitrogen in your protected urea, in your ton of protected urea, than you are in the can. And the protected urea is reducing our ammonia losses, so it's maintaining more nitrogen available to the, the plant, less loss, because any, any loss of any product is a loss to the farmer's pocket at the end of the day. So the protection on the urea is helping more of the nitrogen be retained in the system and making the protected urea product on a used basis actually cheaper than ordinary urea for the farmer. And, and, and I think it's a really useful exercise to have talked through that, Seamus. As you say, it's the, the price per ton divided by the kilograms the of, nitrogen of nitrogen per ton. In and, each ton, yeah. And, and farmers just need to, I suppose, you know, think about that once they're getting their quotes from their merchants. Um, uh, on a recent episode of The Environment Age, uh, Cahal and Deirdre would have spoken with Mark Plunkett and, and he explained you know, this rapid rise in nitrogen, um, you know, it, there's a lot of factors at play. It's not just one thing. You know, there's the price of natural gas, um, export bans from places like China and Russia, and also then additional costs associated with um, freight and shipping. You know, for farmers who don't have nitrogen in the yard at the moment, Seamus, like you know, they're heading into the onset of grass growth. Where do they go from here? Well, I suppose the starting point, Emma Louise, is is to uh, work out especially how much nitrogen you need for the first two rounds. So as we said earlier on there, the slurry should be able to cover half the first round at 2,000 gallons per acre on, on, on most dairy farms. So it's having enough nitrogen for the 23 units for the first round and having enough then for the 40 units for the second round in March. So it's kind of working out how many ton of, of uh, product that you need for the first two rounds and getting that product into the air to have it available because it's important to be able to keep the grass growing when the cows are freshly calved to have enough grass out there to get cows uh, at their optimum production levels um now i suppose availability is going to be the issue i suppose if we're looking at a price point we're then looking at protected urea being the cheapest uh, on, on on a on a nitrogen availability basis followed by urea followed by can so look we would be recommending the, the protected urea product where, where available um uh, and can be got. Uh, failing that, look, if you can't get protected urea, I suppose urea is your next bet, uh, followed by can type products then after that. And I suppose another consideration, Emma Louise, is uh, especially going into the, the, the high fertilizer price for, for 2022 is uh, every farm has to look at the, the stocking rate on the farm for the year going forward. Um, like I suppose with expansion since 2015, stock numbers have increased in a lot of farms. Is there room maybe for calling out the, 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 the poorest performing 5% of the herd uh, they're probably adding a lot of pressure to stocking rate, to sheds, to, to, to labour. But are they increasing the profitability of the whole pile on, on dairy farms? So it's probably another point worth looking at. Maybe look some of the, the poorer stock, maybe the, the worst performing 5% on the herd. Uh, could they maybe be called out to make room and, and leave the, the better stock reach their potential on dairy farms? 
So really, really great points there. As, as you say, right now, farmers should focus on the first and second round, get in touch with the merchant and get the level of nitrogen you need in the yard. And I suppose another positive is as we look across the countryside at the moment, there's a good level of grass production and relatively um, high on average winter growth rates. So there is a good supply of grass on farms to feed animals this spring. Thank you, Seamus. Thank you very much, Emma Louise. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to Seamus Kearney for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.